All right. It's good. If you want to take your Bible or your device and turn to 2 Timothy 2. <clears throat> I think I mentioned a couple weeks ago when I was here, and uh, I should say, I said Wednesday night at the prayer meeting, really appreciate you praying for me when we, I was down last weekend in Mississippi uh, for my brother's mother-in-law's funeral. Just, yeah, some good opportunities there. And uh, I shared Wednesday night. I think I, I shared when I preached, they really wanted me to present the gospel, which is not an unusual request at funerals that I get. They wanted me to give an invitation and just to God really was faithful in that and how to do that in an appropriate way. And so I just appreciate your prayers and the opportunities for conversations after that. So I think I mentioned a couple weeks ago, this message in, in 2 Timothy 2, 8 to 13 was supposed to be one week. Uh, and this is our fourth week in it. We'll finish that out. <clears throat> We're looking at at 2 Timothy, and more and more do I appreciate this for uh, what Timothy, kind of what the thread is through Timothy, but then what it is for our church, what it is for us in this this season of our church, it's just being faithful to your whole journey. You know, those of you that that made your way down, some of you were, you know, you were hustling down here to get front to be prayed for, and some of you were dragging down just for so many different reasons, you just hate the thought that this is where you are again, or... Yeah, just there's a reluctancy in that. You're being called to be faithful to this moment in your journey, this moment, and then the next moment. It's kind of like Jess said, and the next moment, and the next moment, so that you're faithful to your whole journey. Second Timothy, written by a man who's been faithful to his whole journey, he knows his journey's about to end. He's writing to someone whose journey needs to change, and he needs to move from where he is in Ephesus, working with a church there, to come to Rome which is pretty much a hot spot in, in a number of ways for Christianity at that point. Paul's there. Paul's about to die there. There's a pushback against Christianity in Rome. So he, it's, he, Timothy needs to be faithful to a shift in his journey and a shift in what God wants him to do and to, to, to step into that more deeply or in a, you know, in a riskier way. He's been in risk. And Timothy could be one of those people that, like us, when we say, well, God, you know, I've done enough. I've taken some risks. I've put myself out there. Isn't that enough? And it's never enough with God. He wants more. I was listening to Pastor Ted's message from last week and when he talked about that moment in church early in his, his journey with Jesus when he thought, what do these people want? Everything? And it, that's what surrender means. I mean, God put down on Gavin's heart to speak to surrender. That it doesn't matter what you've done till now. He's looking for, okay, what's, what's next? And, and where are we going? And we're looking at the church and just praying about God, you know, what are we doing well? What do we, need to, what do we need to change so that we can do it better? All of those kind of things. And one of the things we wrestle with as we go through that is, okay, who's really with us? Who's really with us, not just in enjoying the ride of this mission statement, but making this mission statement happen? And so maybe that's why God put Second Timothy on, our, on my heart, so that we would step into a greater faithfulness to this whole journey, to this whole journey of what it is. So... Let me read these, these verses, beginning of verse 8. This phrase has just really taken hold of me. Maybe this is the key to the whole letter. Remember Jesus Christ. You know, you're scary about your future. Remember Jesus. You're not sure that you have what it takes. Remember Jesus. You're not sure how the message will play in Rome. Remember Jesus Christ. Boy, if we can just... We get that mantra into our heads in, in whatever the situation is. I'm just going to remember Jesus Christ in his fullness right now. Yeah, remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, 
the offspring of David, as I preached in my gospel, for which I'm suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. The saying is trustworthy, for if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. So we're looking at that, and we started this, this hymn in verse 11. Some people think it's an early Christian worship song. Some people think it's a confession that they would say when, when someone was baptized. And more and more, I think I lean that way, that this is something that when people came to faith in Jesus, when they made that faith public, that there was a confession that they would make. And, and maybe this was that confession. It doesn't really matter what it is. It's a, it's a trustworthy saying. Paul will use that, as I mentioned last time. Paul's going to use that a couple times in his letters to Timothy and Titus. Here's a trustworthy saying. Here's something you can bank on. Some of us have had those things. People spoke into our lives that we just hung on through life. Maybe it was somebody as you started your career that, that gave, they gave you a principle that's just kind of helped you establish how you were going to do your job or your family or your parenting or, or your Christian journey. Someone that just spoke something and it's kind of been a trustworthy saying through the course of your life. So Timothy, here it is. Here you are at this junction point and here is this faithful saying that if we have died with him, we will also live with him. And so we looked at it this way, that a past moment, if we've died with him, if this moment when you came to faith in Jesus, is this moment where you surrendered to him, you, that past moment means forever is certain. It guarantees that. And, and it's one of the wonders of biblical Christianity is that you can know that you know we will live with him. So you have a past and a future. Then we looked at that second line, that ongoing faithfulness means significance later. If we, in, if we endure, we will also reign with him. If we are faithful, if we hang in there, if we persist, if we don't give up, if we keep going, then we will reign with him. That when he sets his kingdom up on the earth for a thousand years, you will have a significant place in, within that kingdom. I think I was mentioning that, that week when I was getting ready for that. It, it just struck me that, you know, I've always believed and since I was saved and taught that Revelation talks about a thousand year reign of Jesus on the earth and that you know people will reign with him okay it suddenly clicked with me that Jesus is going to need a worldwide government for that and so he's going to need governors and he's going to need presidents he's going to need the whole shebang and so faithfulness now determines significance or, or insignificance later. And so that's one of the drives that Timothy would need, need to know. And so we, we looked into that. Here it is, present and future. So you get a, a past and a future, a present and a future, and now you get to, you get to uh, this one, that a denial here means a denial then. Now you're dealing with a present and a future. I'm looking through the song, and you have two lines of the song that are positive, and now you have two songs aligned that look to us as negative. This is, this is our God of love who's a holy God and a God of love who expects his children to surrender to him and to follow him and to do what he's assigned them to do and, and for whom there's consequences when, when we don't do that. So denial here means a denial there. So there's this place in Second in John where John talks about people that are starting to drift away John is one of the last writers of the New Testament, and so you get a number of things that he's trying to protect and preserve. 
He says, For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is a deceiver in the Antichrist. So John's going to refer to Antichrist. He's going to say in 1 John, many Antichrists have gone out in the world. He's not speaking of the Antichrist that will raise up in the Great Tribulation, just people who are against Jesus. I mean, if we're not seeing a wave of Antichrist in our country right about now, so such, is, such a one is the deceiver and the Antichrist. Watch yourselves so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. Get a sense of that if we endure, we'll reign with him. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. I mean, John in 1 John and 2 John and 3 John, he's pretty, he's pretty direct. He has some pretty sharp things to say. That there are going to be people, as we find out, there are going to be people that looked like they were saved and acted like they were saved for a while, but in the end, we're going to find out they, they really didn't have a genuine relationship with Jesus. Maybe they coasted along with family or friends or some, something else, or maybe God got them through a crisis, so they walked with them through that crisis, and then once the crisis was over, so was their faith. And, and we all know people like that. It's not people that relapse and relapse and get up and keep going, relapse into whatever your sin issue is. It's not that. It's not perfection like some people teach, but it's persistence and it's faithfulness. And so John's, John's dealing in that day. Timothy is living and serving in that day. There are many deceivers coming in with false teaching. There are people who are trading out the word. There are people that were strong in the word at one point, but now have traded away and, and downsized the word or, or diluted the word. And so John, John is in that day. Paul's writing to Timothy in the midst of that day. He's writing to Timothy in a, in a context of persecution. The New Testament days, persecution was just normal. When you get 2 Corinthians, Paul lists, these are the things I've suffered for Jesus. It wasn't just Paul. It was a lot of brothers and sisters who were paying, who were paying a price uh, to be followers of Jesus. See, you need to have a balanced view of Jesus if you're going to receive the warning that this verse is given to us. Because if we tilt over to the love and grace Jesus that's predominant in our culture, we're going to not be able to hear this warning. I don't want to tip over into the, into the harsh Jesus of legalism. So why we need a balance. We need a balance of who Jesus was. The Jesus of the Gospels, he's incredibly welcoming and loving and affirming. He's also very direct and truth-speaking and, and oblivious to who a person is. You remember one time he's talking in the Gospels and, and the disciples say to him, oh, Lord, when you said that, you kind of offended the Pharisees. And Jesus said, it doesn't, ma- it doesn't matter to me whether you're a Pharisee or a sinner. You get that whole sense through Jesus' life. It didn't matter whether you were a Pharisee or a sinner. Here was the truth that you needed. That's the balance, Jesus. Yeah, A.W. Tozer wrote this little book called The Knowledge of the Holy. It's just, he talks about the qualities of God. He does that in a way, and he just shows how balanced all of God's being is. He doesn't struggle. It's not like his love and his wrath are fighting each other. He just lives in perfect balance. So that'd be a good book to read somewhere along your journey. So we need this balanced view of him. You have to have a balanced view of Jesus to receive what I'm going to say today. Or it's just going to bounce off. And you're going to, you're going to go into what we easily go into. I'm good. I'm good. I'm, uh, you know, I'm doing things. I'm not doing that bad. Yeah. You know, I usually ask people about this. Annie, I meant to ask you about this, but I think you'll be okay with it. So... Sorry for the anxiety you're feeling right about now. So Annie, Annie filled out her application. 
as the administrative assistant this week and gave her testimony, wrote it out, and Natalie interviewed her. She had, you had this great line in her testimony that your story in high school was that you weren't so much trying to, I forget how you put it, you weren't so much trying to live for God as not do the things God didn't want. I thought, wow, what a great way to capture a lot of people's Christian journey. It's not so much that you're looking to be who Jesus wants you to be or do what Jesus wants you to do. You're just trying not to do what he, he doesn't want you to do. There's a huge difference. Timothy, God, Paul is trying to get Timothy to do what God wants him to do next. That's what I'm hoping through this series, that you do what God wants you to do next. Our defense mechanism to that is, usually, well, but I used to. Or, you know, I am doing this. You're trying to figure out what does God want you to do next. We're all under this umbrella of a denial here means a denial there, and, and that's where that goes. There are, there are people that were with, with the church, like John said, they were with him temporarily. Remember when Jesus told the parable of the seeds, and then he explains the parable of the seeds. And when I read this, and, you know, we wondered and wrestled with, I think everybody studies this passage, you wrestle, so are these people saved? They're not saved, but... Before I read it, uh, remember Jesus talked about by their fruit you'll know them. And so that's what you're that's what you're looking for here is fruit. So he tells us this story that the teaching the word is like sowing seed. He said, As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. I mean, we've seen those people. This is awesome. I'm forgiven. I'm new. This is great. God loves me. I can be part of a church family. They receive with joy, yet he has no root in himself, in himself. But he endures for a while, and when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. How much, does he, how much do these people want from me? Pretty much everything. Pretty much everything. We want you to trade your agenda for this agenda. And then he says, as for what was sown on good soil... This is the one who hears the word and understands it. They understand what they're getting into. He indeed bears fruit and yields in one case a hundredfold, in another 60, in another 30. See, he bears fruit. So there are people that come in, they react, and then they're gone. I remember we had a string of baptisms when we were on State Street in one season. And uh, after people got baptized, we just watched the evil one just take them out. It was, it was really scary, it was crazy that when you make a public statement of, hey, this is who I am and this is where I'm going, boy, Satan just has a way of saying, okay, well, let's put that to the test. And for some people, the test is it really wasn't genuine. It didn't, it didn't go deep. For some people it is, and they fall away, and, and they're going to come back. I mean, that's why we can't, we can't step in and, and be that judge. We can't. The closest I've ever, telling, I've ever come to telling someone they weren't saved, I said to one guy, if I was you, I would not want to show up at the judgment with your testimony. And he just had an incredibly immoral life. He's married, just, yeah. There's such arrogance. Yeah, you don't want to show up. I want to, I want to show up in the judgment seat confident. I want to be confident because of my conviction about Jesus. I want to be confident because my life has affirmed that I really believed that. So I want you to be there too. That's where, that's where they were wrestling. They had people that looked good, but they were temporary. In fact, I mentioned this, John writes in 1 John, they went out from us, but they weren't of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. 
but they went out that it might become plain they are not all of us. What about those people? They came to church, but now you don't see them. You try to call them. They have no interest, nothing. There again, they went out. They just weren't of us. Maybe they come back and we find out, okay, they really were, but it's important for us to hear these kind of warnings from Scripture. And there's an intensity that goes here from Jesus' story about the seeds to what John writes and now what Peter writes. But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who brought them, bringing, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. Some of them are going to be people within the church who are going to have teaching places who are going to deny, 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 and you're going to, in the end, they're going, to be de- they're going to face destruction and not salvation. That's the context that these letters are being written in. First John, toward the end of John's life, Second Peter, Peter says he's about to die soon. Second Timothy, Paul says he's about to die soon. And this is what they're dealing with. And so they're trying to motivate the church to stay hot for Jesus and stay close and to stay serving, doing those things that affirm that they really have faith and that, that Jesus is alive and, and at work in them. So when we come to, you know, if you... If we, deny, if we deny him, he will also deny us. You have to wrestle a little bit. Of, okay, so what is a denial? Denial means you disown somebody. You repudiate somebody. I mean, think Peter's denial is classic. Hey, aren't you one of his? No, not me. You have the wrong person. Sure do look like one of them. You got the wrong guy. You have that Galilean accent. I swear to you, I don't know Jesus. That's, boy, that is the classic inference of denial, what a denial is. The place we go with this is we tend to go with, you know what, if I was in that situation, I would have said, yes, I do know Jesus. If somebody's going to put a gun to my head, I'm going to admit I know Jesus, and whatever happens, happens. That's really easy to say because we're not living in Iran right now, or we're not living in China where those things are really happening. We tend to project this thing out, and I'm okay, which is kind of a defense mechanism we all have, a spiritual defense mechanism that we think of a case where this might happen, and then we put ourselves in a place where I'm okay in that situation. If, you know, if, you deny him, if we deny him, he'll deny us. I would never deny you. If they were going to kill me, I would say that I was saved. I remember I was in a Bible study one time, and this guy says, uh, he says, they were talking about dying for Jesus, and, or talking about marriage, and he said, guys, you're really serious. He goes, men, you need to be willing to die for your wives. I remember thinking, my problem is not whether I'm willing to die for Cindy. My problem is being willing to live for Cindy. That's where I tend to run into issues. And this guy that said it was such a selfish husband that I really, I really wrestled with that. I mean, in his heart, I really believe he believed. He was a friend, too. He believed he believed that he would die for his wife. He just wasn't living for her. You know, we can believe that we would die for Jesus, his real concern is, what, what are we doing until then? What are we doing in, in the meantime and what that goes on? And so I really believe that Jesus is, or God is speaking in this moment of, if you deny me in this persecution realm, then I'll deny you. But I want to just dig for our sake, because we're not at that point yet in America. I, I want to dig a little bit deeper. We were actually... Uh, we're actually reading a book, Pastor Ted and I, together, that our brother Francis Chan has written. Here's his chapter on living a crucified life. I think it's in that chapter where, if I get this off, just help me. I think it's in, in Iran, 
they have this thing they go through with people that are going to be baptized that, listen, are you willing to go to jail for Jesus? Are you willing for them to take away your house? Are you willing to lose your job for Jesus? These are their pre-baptism questions. My pre-baptism question is, are you going to have somebody that's going to hand you the towel? Are you, you know, are you going to have a bathing suit? But they get what baptism is. I'm going public, and I understand what public means in Iran. And Jesus is, is better. I was listening to Voice of the Martyrs. They have a weekly podcast that would be good for you to listen. It's just so good for us to get perspective. So I'm listening to this brother, Ali. I'm sure it's not his real name in Iran. Just being interviewed, how he came to faith. He's such an angry person. He came to faith in Jesus. And how he, he's just serving Jesus now, he and his wife. They're serving the church. It's a very dangerous time in Iran, and yet the church is exploding. Uh, and so they interview him, and he's twice been in places. He, he's scheduled to be in places where the people that were there were arrested. And just supernaturally, he happened not to be there. And so they asked him about that. And he says, listen, my wife and I have already talked about this. And we've already agreed that we're just going to keep doing this if it means that we're arrested or if it means that we are murdered or, you know, brace yourself on this one, or if it means that she is raped in jail. We are going to continue to serve the church. And that's one of those times you just want to pull over while you're listening and say, God, you know, you are not calling for any cost like that from me. So help me not to minimize the cost you are calling from for me. There's always a cost. They're just paying so much more than, than we're paying. And to them, this is so worth it. They have a sense of what Jesus has done for us, so how do we stop short of what he went through for us? That's why when he says, if you deny me before men, I'll deny you also before my Father. We're not in those positions yet. I mean, for some of us, we wrestle just making our faith known at work. Are you one of those... You know, these, I hear about these crazy Christians that think it's wrong to abort a baby. You don't agree with that, do you? I hear about these Christians that hate homosexuals. Are you one of those? You no, know, we're not one of those, by the way. We're one of those that believe the biblical teaching on sexuality is that one man should be married to one woman for life. But that doesn't mean we hate anybody that disagrees with that. We're being misrepresented. And unfortunately, there's enough of us out there that actually talk like that. But some of you shrink back in those moments. You don't believe that, do you? You don't believe the Bible's true, do you? You don't believe I'm really going to hell, do you? You don't believe that there really is one, one way and that people don't agree with you aren't, aren't going to be in heaven, do you? Those are our moments of denying, denying me. And those are moments when it's easy to shrink back because acceptance and tolerance is so huge in our country right now. And here's this word to Timothy. You need to show up, Timothy. Remember this trustworthy saying, if you deny me before men, I deny you before, before my father. That Jesus is going to say. But I, was, I wanted to dig a little deeper, as I said in this. As I was saying the other night, it might have been even during prayer service, it just kind of hit me. Places we go where we deny Jesus. We deny him. Sometimes we just deny him his role in our life. He's shown up in our lives to save us. But he's also shown up in our lives to take control and to be served and to be Lord. That's what Lord means is I'm in charge. I'll tell you what to do. And and the place I'm going to tell you what to do and what to be is in my word. And so, of course, you're in my word because you want to know what I say and you want to know what I have for you. So easy for us to deny his real role in our lives. That's been kind of my burden for the kids up at Word Life Camp this week. 
you know, we see them come back every year. They're so psyched, and then it, that easily fades. I want them to have a deep conviction about God's calling on their life and his role in their life, so they live that out, because it's easy to deny him his role, his role in our lives. It's easy to deny the gifts that he's given to you. He has supernaturally gifted you, each of you, with a particular way that he wants you to serve in the kingdom, that he wants you to serve in the church. If you're unfamiliar with that, you need to read 1 Corinthians 12 or Romans 12 or 1 Peter where he talks about the spiritual gifts. Each of you is gifted. And we deny him when we deny, sometimes we ask, oh, I don't see any gifts in my life. No, I've used my gift. When you deny him the right of using you in your giftedness or denying the kingdom assignment that he's given to you. His, his assignment is not just our mission statement. It is assignment to every Christian to make disciples that change the world and to do that by teaching them to obey everything that I've taught to you. So when you deny the kingdom assignment that he gives you to do that, you're denying him. You're denying his role in your life. We each have a role. We each have a role in every season of our life that changes based on where your life's at. I mean, when you're, you're married without kids, boy, you have so much availability to serve the kingdom. And then when, you're, when your kid's are little, boy, that availability really shrinks down. You know, and then as they grow or different seasons of health, different seasons financially, whatever that is, he has a kingdom assignment for you every day of your life. And when you're not living that kingdom assignment, you are denying his, ro- his, role, in, his role in your life. When you, when you deny the way that his bride is supposed to be treated, you deny him. I mean, Peg Chick has sent me a couple of things Paul Washer has said about the role of how we treat the church and our involvement in the church and how using just these illustrations of this is Jesus' fiance. He's left us, he's left her here in our care. And he's going to come back and see, so how did you care for my fiance? I love her so much, can't wait to marry her. How'd you take care of her? How much did you show up for her? How much did you keep her healthy? I mean, that speaks to our involvement in, in this local body that God's called you to. We deny him what his wife deserves sometimes when we don't serve, when we don't give, when we don't pray in any of those areas. Then we're, in effect, we're denying him. Or we deny his servant's role in our lives. God has put people in my life who are in this church family to speak into my life or to model for me what it is that I need to see. I used to think, you know, before I became a pastor, I'm a pastor, he's got it all together. He really doesn't need anybody to help him. He's got this together. And I became one. It was like, oh, God, help me. You know, please give me people who help me. And in different seasons, you know, that's where an area you've got to pray for us. Sometimes you slide into the, I am the pastor, you know. And, you know, the Holy Spirit just says, yeah, good luck with that, you know. Sometimes we deny the role of God's servants in our lives. He's put people around you whose gifts you need to grow. And if, if life has taught you not to let people get close, you're going to deny God's servants their role in your life. If you feel like you've got this all figured out and you appreciate what people are saying, but you're not receiving that, you're denying God's servants their role in their life. I mean, it's incredible how often just in a casual conversation, after service, in the cafe... You bump into somebody, it's, it's significant how often in casual conversation the Holy Spirit will say something significant to you. 
And you just get a moment, okay, this person might have known that or they may not have known that, but God has spoken. So, so if you're newer here, you need to get close here so that you can get close enough so that the Spirit can tell you what to speak into people or so you can know people enough to, to receive that. I believe those are areas where you and I in America right now, where we wrestle with denying Jesus and his role and what it is that he's trying to do with us because the reality is there's going to be a day where the second half of this, of this verse comes to, comes to reality. There's a place where Jesus just says, so everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. And maybe this is what that looks like. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who's in heaven. We want to wrestle in the, well, I know I'm saved because when I was six years old, I prayed this prayer, but that's not what this comes back to. He talks about who does the will, who does the will. It's not a work salvation. It's a works that proves salvation. That's what James writes about. Yeah, on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, I mean, didn't we prophesy in your name or cast out demons in your name and do many, many mighty works in your names? Not just, Lord, I didn't just do nursery. I did many mighty works in your name, in your name, in your name, in your name. Do you see that? You know, and I'll declare to them, I, ne- I never knew you. You know, you were in the right place doing some of the right thing, but I never knew you. So depart from me, workers of lawlessness. What an awful moment that's going to be. People that are sure they're in, finding out they weren't. So you just, you know, that's my heart for you. I should say that's our heart for you because Pastor Ted and I have been talking that I'm the one preaching through Second Timothy, but we're both having a sense. This is what the season for what God is trying to speak to the church. You know, so just incredibly bore, uh, burdened. I do not want any of you in that moment. You know, and so you check things. I remember hearing Warren Wiersbe say one time, he was glad for those moments when he doubted his salvation. You know, sometimes you just get this random thought. You might say, because he said, it makes me just fact check my life. Is there evidence of salvation in my life? Is there a hunger to know God? Is there a hunger for the word? Is there a surrendering to the spirit? Is there an activity in the, what God is trying to do in the kingdom? If I see those things, then I know, yeah, then my salvation is valid and legitimate. This is a moment that's coming when we stand before Jesus and, and you, f- you find yourself in that place or in Revelation 2. It speaks of these people who are in battle that Satan has been released in chapter 12. and says, they conquered him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. And here's this last line. For they love not their lives even to death. You get that sense from like this brother Ali in Iran or from so many in places where they're serving the Lord, you know, they didn't love their lives so much that they, they minimized or they, they stayed out of sight or whatever it was. They didn't love their lives even to death. It's your life, God. If you want it to end, that's okay. You know, it's your life, God. If you want me to fill in the blank, that's okay. It's your life, God. If you want me to go to Rome, I'm going to Rome. That's what Paul's trying to get out of Timothy. A denial here means a denial then. And then he, he finishes out this song with, or this confession, whatever it is. Faithless now means faithful then. We read this verse. I've always read this verse and just been so comforted by it. If we are faithless, he remains faithful for he cannot deny himself. 
And so I've even, I think I've shared that at a prayer meeting or we heard different people pray at a prayer meeting, including me. God, thank you that you're so faithful. Even when I'm faithless, you are faithful. I'm just so thankful for that. And then as I'm studying out this, this passage in this book and I'm realizing that's not totally what it says and what it means. There's a slice of that, that even if, if you're faithless, God, he's going to be faithful. Even if people around you are faithless, Jesus is going to be faithful to you. In fact, if you turn over to chapter 4, Paul's going to, have, he's going to say he had a moment where people were not faithful to him. In chapter 4 and verse 16, he says, at my first offense, the first time he was in jail at the end of, Acts, at the, end of the book of Acts, he says, at the, my first offense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. May it not be charged against them, but the Lord stood by me and strengthen me so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. Yeah, there's a comfort, there is a comforting element to this truth that if you hit a moment of faithlessness, you relapse, you have a season of backsliding, God is still faithful. The prodigal son found that and, and Jesus put that, story in, put that story in for the rest of us. He is always going to be faithful to welcome you back. He's going to be faithful if nobody else around you is faithful. And his kingdom program, it is going on with or without us. What God is doing in the world to save the world, to, to set it up for the kingdom of Jesus coming, that's going on regardless of whether you and I stay faithful. I mean, I've been praying with eyes open, God, I want to be faithful in the last chapter of my life, in the last chapter of my ministry. I hope I don't die when I retire. I'm not one of those guys. I want to be faithful all the way to the end, Lord. And so, but thank you that if I hit a faithless streak, you are still going to be faithful. His, his, his kingdom cannot help but going on. His church and this church and its past history should not have survived what happened here. But God is faithful even when we are faithless and his kingdom program keeps going forward. And so he, if not you, he's going to find somebody He's going to do it. And they'll be the ones that receive the reward and have this wonderful experience of being used by God in the kingdom. His kingdom is going to keep going on. He's going to be faithful to do what he wants done. That's, a, that's an incredible reassurance. Is it going to take longer? Sometimes. Are we going to miss out on things? Yeah, we are. I mean, like he says, if you don't have because you don't ask. And so that's one of the reasons we're committed to prayers. We don't want Jesus to get there. Say, man, I would have loved to do so much more, but you didn't ask me to. So there's that element to it in the midst of it. But if you're faithless, he's going to be faithful and it's going to keep going on. And then there's this other thread of reality of what this truth means. That if we're faithless, he is going to be faithful to judge faithlessness. That he doesn't change. He's not, uh, he's not, uh, and we have, you know, we have our grandkids with us going on vacation and enjoy Mark too. But we have our grandchildren, you know. I think Joy said, Luke said, uh, bump us like 70 times in the car over here. Just, you know, the spirit is on that kid, yeah. So we're going to be with them. And, and Nana has just such a special way about her. I mean, we all, we all love Cindy, how she is with children and the mercy she shows. She's just good with that. It's not going to be Nana at the great judgment. Oh, I know you didn't mean to. I know you were busy. I know that, you know, you just were, you were too burdened. I know the church hurt you. I mean, just insert whatever it is you and I use to get out of serving. 
I know, don't worry about it. I'm so glad you're here. Come on in. That's not how it's going to be. I mean, he tells us about the sheep and the goats. Okay, you guys, you were busy about doing this, and you, never did, you guys never did this, and everybody's going, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. When did we do that exactly? Well, as much as you did to the least of these, you were doing it for me. And so you come into our kingdom, and you, you're not coming in. That's going to be that judgment. That's going to be that moment that we have before him. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, you know, because he cannot deny himself. He cannot step over justice and righteousness. That's why he, he lives in perfect balance. Or the Apostle Paul, who talks about this, the love of Christ constrains us. The love of Christ motivates us. I can do all things through Christ. How, I want you to know how wide and deep and high the love of Jesus is. And then he says to the Corinthians, he says to them, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he's done in the body, whether evil or good. That if you're saved, that's our judgment, the judgment seat of Christ. Here's how long you were saved. Here are the spiritual gifts I gave you. Here are the opportunities I put before you. Here's the assignments I had for you. Now let's weigh that out. Then, and then look at what he says in the second half of that. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord. You know how the King James translates that? Therefore, knowing the terror of the Lord, we persuade others. But what we are is known to God, and I hope it's known to your conscience. I mean, the Corinthians were having a hard time receiving from Paul. Therefore, knowing the terror of the Lord. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Therefore, knowing the terror of the Lord, we get to work. We get to work. Because I do not want to show up at that judgment seat with those excuses because he's going to remain faithful. He's the faithful boss. He's the, the faithful Lord in all the stories. And so the owner of the property comes back and says, I gave you 10 talents, what'd you do? I gave you five talents, what'd you do? I gave you one talent, what'd you do? He always tells those stories and he's always looking and it's never, well, you know what, come on in. You know what, just come to the party. You know what, I'm still going to make you president of Fiji or whatever that is in the thousand year reign. If we are faithless, he remains faithful because he cannot, he cannot deny himself. He's talking about us. He's talking to believers in, in this. Some, you know, will find out weren't saved as it says. So, so I, I come away from this and thinking Paul loves Timothy. He, he's written Timothy, you know, he's already written him a couple, a letter encouraging him to move on why is he writing him? Why is he writing him a letter like this? I'm about to die. Please come before winter. We'll see. He's going to say in chapter four. Please come here. But he's writing a pretty strong letter with encouragement and sharpness both in it. I mean, Paul's this person of balance. He he just brings what's needed in the moment. Why is he writing this? Because Timothy is hesitant about showing up there. Because Timothy may not show up. Where is he supposed to show up? That's why. This letter is written the way that it's written. And God preserves it in his forever word because he knew that down the road there would be the danger that you and I would be hesitant about showing up where it is we're supposed to show up. That you and I would be hesitant about serving where it was we're supposed to serve or, or growing or getting past what it is we're supposed to get past. And so here's this word that's incredibly comforting on one level. If we died with him, we'll live with him. If we endure, we'll reign with him. If we deny him, he's going to deny us. The flip side of that is if we acknowledge him, he's going to acknowledge us. 
if we're faithless, he remains faithful because he cannot deny himself. So, so I mentioned to you that I preached, uh, they asked me to preach out of Revelation 2.10 at, my, at uh, Scott's mother-in-law's funeral. It says, do not fear what you're about to suffer, for the devil is going to throw some of you in prison for 10 days. And, uh, but if you persevere, uh, I will give you the crown of life. I will, uh, yeah, I will give you the crown of life. I'm summarizing it, but that's the verse. They knew the first and last part. They didn't know the middle part. And I really felt like God telling me, you just stay home on this verse. And, and, and in the part of that, and doing Brenda's funeral, was this sense of here's Jesus promising that he himself is going to put a crown on the head of those who are faithful and persevere. Think about that. That saying your name, you know, saying your name and putting a crown on your head because you were faithful and you showed up where you were supposed to show up, you grew where you were supposed to grow, you got past what you were supposed to get past, and you used this gifting that you weren't even sure was really you, but people affirmed it, and there was an opportunity, and so you stepped into it. He's going to put that crown on your head. Paul's inviting Timothy, stay on track for that, Timothy. You stay on track for that. That's all, that's all, I, that's all I can say to you is stay on track for that. We moved to, we moved to Dallas in uh, August of 1980. We're driving. We bought Cindy's parents' car. We're driving it down from uh, Manchester, you know, where I grew up, down to Dallas. And we got to, we got to Delaware, and we're going over the Delaware Bridge, and just something happened to the car. We just couldn't go that fast anymore. So we stopped in Maryland that night, and, and uh, we had some trouble, and we thought, okay, it'll be okay. You know, it'll probably take care of itself, which, <laughs> which there was a season in my life that was kind of my go-to for everything. She's mad at me, but probably take care of itself. You know, I didn't study for this test, but probably take care of itself. <laughs> this car, this car on the highway will not go more than 35. Probably take care of itself. <laughs> so from Maryland to almost Memphis, we drove 35 miles an hour. Yeah. We had a CB that Cindy's dad had, so we could hear all the truckers exhorting us, <laughs> you know, as we were going up hills going about 15 miles an hour, you know. We stopped in, uh, we stopped in one place. I told this story. We stopped somewhere in Tennessee, Tennessee, Nowheresville, Tennessee. I'm convinced these guys were drunk at the, at the gas station right off the highway because I couldn't understand them at all, at all. I mean, I kid you not, this guy would talk. I'd look at Cindy. She'd tell me what he said. I'd tell him what I, you know, what I knew about the car. He'd say something, I'd look at Cindy, she'd tell me what he said, and it's, you know, we're going on like this in this round. And so they turned our timing way ahead. They said, this should fix it. And this guy knows, it was also that season of my life, this guy knows, he should know what he's talking about, so we'll just do this. So we did that, we could drive maybe 40. And so we finally got to this place, and they said, what you need is a timing gun. We don't, a timing gun. Those of you who know cars know how basic that was. They said, at this gas station off the interstate, he said, we're supposed to get one next week. <laughs> a timing gun. Yeah. So he said, but there's a dealership about 10 miles in. So we drove 10 miles in, opened the trunk, opened the hood. Yeah, I knew enough to open the hood. Uh, this guy, you know, these couple of guys, they stick their head down. They stick their head in the thing. He says, touch the gas, and their hair all just goes flying. The guy says, your catalytic converter is plugged. So I said, Really? I'm thinking, what's a catalytic converter? Well, you know. <laughs> so, so they said, we can cut it off. 
you know, we can cut in those days, you just cut it off, put a straight pipe in. So they cut off the straight pipe in. And then he says to me, because I don't know these things, he says, do you want to keep it? I don't know, do I? Do I want to keep this? You know, the thing's about 800 degrees because we've been driving all day, but do I want to put it in my trunk with all my possessions? So being Scottish, I said, sure. So keep it. He says, we probably should put it on some cardboard so it doesn't light stuff on fire. And I reverted to, this guy knows what he's talking about, so just, yeah, go ahead and put it in there. So they did, and, and it didn't catch on fire. We got to Dallas, we threw it in the trash. So, but we got on the highway, and we sailed. We are going 70. Why? Because we got rid of the thing that was blocking the power. Yeah, you with me? We got rid of, once we got rid of that thing, we could fly the way we're supposed to. What's that thing that's keeping you from showing up? So let's stand. Let me pray. Hey, if you're on the prayer team, let me have you just come up right now so you're available. We want to be a church that responds. So if you're not sure where God wants you to show up, or if you know there's something that gets in the way of you showing up the way you're supposed to show up, come and have somebody pray that you have clarity on that or, or, or uh, confidence about that. So, yeah. We've got others on the prayer team. I just want you to be in place. Yeah. So, Father, here we are. And uh, as, a, as a pastor, I just want to lay down that part of me that, that just would look at a passage like this and say, well, of course I'm safe, I'm pastoring, I'm talking to people. Because only you know where I'm supposed to be showing up right now, Pastor Ted's supposed to be showing up right now. So we just would confess to our church family and to you, we, we want you to reveal to us where it is you need us to show up or what it is you need for us to do in the season. And then church-wide, for you to accomplish what you want to accomplish through Cottage Hill, what Springfield needs Cottage Hill to accomplish for the sake of Christ is going to take all of us and all that you've given us to bring. So I'm just crying out to you, Lord. The Holy Spirit, would you speak clearly? Would you affirm those who need to be affirmed? Would you stir up those who need to be stirred up? I mean, you say that to Timothy twice, stir up the gift that's in you. Would you stir that up? Would you give clarity to those who are searching out, Lord, where, where do I serve? What do I serve? What, what is it you want to start or what needs to be strengthened here? You're calling us to make disciples. And so we want to do that with each other, certainly building each other up. But there are so many people that are lost right now who need to become saved so they have the, have the chance of becoming disciples. And so here we are, and here's this church. Use us, Holy Spirit. Use us to the full. If we resist you, then we pray you just come hard against us so that we can get where we need to be. We're praying that to your glory and knowing that that will be abundant life. So do it, Jesus, we pray. Amen.